We're going to start a new journey called uh, <coughs> Revelation Readiness. And uh, I've been excited about this journey. It's been something that's brewing inside of my heart for the last almost a year, actually. And I know when we talk about the book of Revelation, some of you are a little bit apprehensive. Some of you have skim read it, and that's about all, and called it weird and just gone off for a nice little Psalm 23 or something. <clears throat> but we're going to tackle it. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take us on a journey of trying to unpack, trying to explore, and trying to find, God, what is the purpose of this book in the Bible? Someone came to me yesterday and said, Brent, it's good that the book of Revelation is right at the end of the Bible, because if it was near the beginning, people wouldn't read past it. They'd say, ah, 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 ah. And for many people, it's a confusing book. Some consider it a weird book, difficult to understand, and and you're not alone. Some great theologians have declared, no, no, this can't be from God, and have refused to even expand on it. And yet what I believe is that God has given us an incredible gift in this book of Revelation. In fact, can you imagine the Bible without the end of the story? Can you imagine if, uh, if it just finished with Jude, one of the letters, and, and we left wondering, how does the story end? The book of Revelation gives us insight into how the story ends. Now, some of you carry fear when you've heard. Uh, you see, there's two types of people, two types of Christians, some who avoid the book of Revelation and maybe skim read it occasionally, and there's others, Revelation is their book. Yeah, and you know some of those people, and they're always coming up with these weird and wonderful predictions, and everything's interpreted through the lens of the next apocalyptic Holocaust prediction. Some of you have maybe never read it at all. Well, I'm going to invite you on this journey, put together, I'll explain a little in a moment, a reading guide with some questions, some thoughts and ideas as well, because we're going to tackle this because I truly believe God wants to speak to his church and he's given us, given us this incredible book to do it. But here's how I'm going to preach this. I'm not going to try and convince you what I believe Revelation is exactly saying. Because there's all kinds of speculations, interpretations. Most of them are a little bit right and a little bit wrong. And I'm not trying to convince you through this journey, this is what I believe it exactly says, and this is my interpretation, and I believe it's right. I'm not going to try and convince you of that, but rather introduce you to some of the ideas that different people have. And basically, I'm saying, please don't send me all your favorite YouTube clips about what it really means. Because the internet is full of speculation and ideas. What I am going to try and convince you of, though, is why it was written. And I've come to the conviction that the why of this book is even more important than the what of this book. And when we understand the why it was written, the what becomes more apparent even if we don't understand all of its complexities. Why it was written. It was written to get the church ready. It was written so that the church would overcome. It was written to inspire the church to endure opposition, persecution, hardship. It was written to prepare the church for the return of our king. How many of you would love to see Jesus come back in their lifetime? I mean, I'm there. Jesus, I'm there. And it's not something, I mean, Paul thought Jesus was coming back in his day. We believe Jesus is coming back in our day. And that's what Jesus wanted us. He wanted us to live ready with an expectation so I'm going to be sharing you, with you the big lessons that I've taken out of this book. So let's dive right in. Today I'm going to be looking at glimpses of Revelation 1 and then chapters 4 and 5. We'll look at 2 and 3 next week. 
But the title I'm going to be looking at today is that heaven is ready. The king is ready. Jesus is ready. So Revelation 1 verses 1 to 11, the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants, that's us, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Isn't that interesting? And blessed are those who hear it. We're going to trust God for a blessing over this journey. A blessing. I've got a funny feeling we're going to see a whole lot of opposition. The battle belongs to the Lord. Because Satan hates this book because it speaks about his future. Speaks about his demise. Speaks about his being overthrown and punished. He hates this book. And there's normally a lot of opposition when we try and open up. The words of Revelation. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse number four, John. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, we believe this is John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the only disciple who was never martyred. They try to martyr him. Apparently they try to boil him in oil, but he didn't die. So now he's on an island, kind of like Robin Island, one of those prison islands where he's just been left to kind of... Uh, to pass away his final years in a prison type of thing. And, and these are the very churches that he used to visit. He used to visit these seven churches to encourage them and to preach. Now, instead of retiring and playing golf on his little island, he's still writing to them, encouraging them, and Jesus is ministering to them. It says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. We're going to see the number seven multiple times through this book. Not just the seven churches, but now the seven spirits. It's not, there's not seven holy spirits. When we read seven, we see the word perfection, wholeness, and completeness. One of the, the, the names of the Holy Spirit is the sevenfold spirit of God. Because he's complete, the spirit of wisdom, comfort, knowledge, insight. The sevenfold spirit of God before the throne. Verse number five, and from Jesus Christ, who's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Verse number six, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Ah, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Let me read that again, saints. Some of you might have been brought up in a prosperity gospel type of movement where basically the gospel was come to Jesus and your problems go away. That's not the gospel of the Bible. In fact, suffering is a very normal part of the Christian life. It's because of Jesus' suffering that we have salvation. His suffering became a source of salvation for others. And in the kingdom of God, we're not being punished by suffering. We're being matured, strengthened, and our faith is being refined. And basically what John is trying to do by this revelation from Jesus is encourage the church, yep, there may be suffering ahead. But that's within that suffering, Paul, who had the revelation, he said, Jesus, I want to know you, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. And Paul's trying to prepare the church 
Suffering is not something to be run from and to think God's abandoned you. No, no, there's a fellowship in suffering. Let's prepare for it. Who knows what we might face? Our John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Many speculate about that. Firstly, we'd, we'd normally just think the Lord's day, oh, that must be Sunday. Maybe not, because often it spoke about resurrection day or the first day of the week. In fact, in the Roman Empire at the time, the Lord's Day was one particular day every year where you had to worship the Lord being Caesar, the ruler of the empire itself. So this was the day when if you didn't worship the God of the age, the Caesar who was over the Roman Empire at the time, you faced death. So it was on this day, the Lord's Day, not a Lord's Day like we have one every week, the Lord's Day, which was probably a once a year, on this day you bow the knee to this worldly, earthly king or emperor. On this day, Jesus revealed himself as king of kings and lord of lords. On the Lord's Day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I'm going to read on in a moment, but I want us to see the big idea. This book of Revelation was written to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, like many prophecies we read in the Old Testament, there's often a short-term, initial, partial fulfillment, and then a much later, complete fulfillment. And so the timing of this book is, is there's a preparation, there's going to be a persecution, tribulation ahead. And what happened soon after this writing was exactly that. Someone said it like this, Nero, who was emperor at the time, wasted no time. He arrested and tortured all the Christians in Rome before executing them with lavish publicity. Some were crucified, some were thrown to wild animals, and others were burnt alive as living torches. Shocking, but it happened. And so, Paul, I mean, John was preparing, Jesus was preparing. There may be suffering ahead. I'm going to be honest with you. This is what your future might look like. And through this book, we see this preparation for readiness. Are your lives ready? Is your faith ready? Are you ready to face an uncertain future? And soon after the writing of this book, there was this partial fulfillment. The temple was destroyed. Rome, I mean, Jerusalem was burnt and persecution broke out against the Christians. But it wasn't completely fulfilled. Rather, we wait for that final fulfillment when Jesus returns, and that could be in our lifetime. Some even call the book of Revelation a manual for martyrdom. Do you know that more Christians are martyred today than ever in the past, in the future? We sometimes think that this is normal Christianity. No, no, this is comfortable Western civilization Christianity. Normal Christianity, people right around the world, we have brothers and sisters right now in Pakistan, India, or some of those Middle Eastern countries into Asia, where if you stand for your faith, it could be death. Would you stand for your faith? And so we sometimes think this is normal. No, no, actually suffering, persecution, even martyrdom is normal in a Christian life. And that's why the purpose of this book is to show the church it's not just about now. You see, this book helps us understand we're not just living for the now. If all we see is our now, if all we want to do is make heaven on earth right now, I want my life comfortable, I want my life safe, I want my life happy. No, no, you can do that in heaven one day. 
The purpose of this book is to lift our eyes and see actually this may be a time of difficulty and persecution and suffering, but the king is coming. And when the king comes and takes his place of rulership, then those who stand faithfully, full of faith, trusting him, will enjoy a glorious future with Jesus. So some of the characteristics of this book of Revelation, it's an apocalyptic book. It's a big word, which basically means it's about the end times. Now, part of the struggle is, can you imagine, uh, there's other apocalyptic books in the Bible, the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, have these prophecies about end times. And, and can you imagine, for some of them 500 years before Jesus, or, or this book about 60, 70 years after Jesus, can you imagine, take for an example, how would you describe an airplane if you've never even seen a car, you've never even seen an engine, and now you're writing about things that you don't even have a point of reference, which is why sometimes it's, it's language that's used trying to describe things that the writer has just, he's got no reference point for. It's a prophetic book. It contains poems and visions which make it symbolic, which means it's not always chronological. I know you engineers, tell me, we want like step one, step two. It's, it's frustrating sometimes because it's not perfectly laid out. It's laid out in poetry, poem, and prophecy And sometimes it's trying to speak more to our emotions than our mind. And so we're going to go through it and we're going to pull out what does the possible sequence of events look like. But we'll see there's a jumping from place to place. But most importantly, it's God's book. No other book in Scripture was dictated by God. All the others, God used the human instrumentality as as Paul wrote a letter, as Isaiah felt the Holy Spirit stir him and he wrote, no, no, this was dictated from heaven. That's why we read in uh, Revelations 1 verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. There's a special blessing on this book because it's God's book. In Revelation 22, verse 18, right at the end, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the scroll. And those are powerful promises of blessing and cursing because this is God's book which means we shouldn't be fearful of it. We're going to enter it and say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Holy Spirit, we want to be a people ready for an uncertain future. In terms of my personal journey, I remember I got saved way back in 1989. I didn't know there were such things as Christian books. I knew about the Bible, but I didn't know you actually people wrote books about the Bible. And, and so the first book I found was called The Late Great Planet Earth. It was some kind of apocalyptic Holocaust scenario, and I'm like, whoa. I read, to Kate, no less, the whole Left Behind series until it got so far out of line, we just didn't know what to read. And, and so, I mean, if you've read that, then you're waiting for the rapture to happen when the going gets tough. Well, we, we've got some news for you. I remember watching one of the early Christian movies. This is when Christians didn't know how to make movies really well like they do now. It was called Thief in the Night. And it was kind of basically to scare you into heaven by thinking that any night now, you might wake up and the bed next to you is empty and the bedclothes are neatly, whatever it is. So I've seen all the weird stuff and all the the theories and ideas. The result of all the weirdness is some people never read it 
because it's difficult to understand or scary. As I said, others focus their whole life on it. Every major event, I'll get a message from someone. Isn't that exactly out of Revelation 12? I'm thinking, huh? When the European Union, suddenly there were 10 nations who entered the European Union. There it is, the 10 horns spoken about in in Revelation 17. And, And then they added another European nation and it went quiet. Remember the tragic day when those airplanes hit the Twin Towers and suddenly, isn't that exactly out of reverence? I don't even remember which it was. Not even going to talk about vaccines and marks of the beast. If it was written to predict the sequence of events and the exact coming of the Lord, then the what is of primary importance. But if it's written primarily not to predict but to prepare, then we understand it in a completely different way. And I'm convinced this is what Jesus is looking for in his church in this season. Why do I believe it's more focused on preparation than prediction? Well, when Jesus was asked by his disciples, Matthew 24, 3 to 4, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. They said, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus was asked, what must we look out for? The very first thing Jesus said, not a mark of the beast or an antichrist, he said, verse number four, watch out that no one deceives you. Isn't that interesting? Biggest danger of end times is not heads and horns and and end times and marks and beasts. No, no, watch out that no one deceives you. And I believe the greatest weapon against deception is readiness. Be watchful. Jesus carried on, Matthew 24, verses 42. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Acts 1, verses 6 to 8. They gathered around. They asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the glorious messianic reign? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my... Do you know what that word means? If you're a Greek scholar, don't go and look at what it means. Because witnesses is such a lovely word. The Greek word is martyrs. Why do we receive power from the Holy Spirit? That Holy Spirit, we will learn to stand. Even when the going gets tough, even when there's opposition, the Holy Spirit, that we will be a witness for Christ. Even if that means being a martyr, laying down our lives to stand for the King. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What I want to do now, just for a while, is is this first episode, before the time gets away from me, we're going to be looking in the next couple of weeks, is the church ready for an end time scenario? Are you ready to reign with God? Are you ready for a time of shaking? Are you ready for judgment? Are you ready to live in a world, and I'll call it the, the Babylon type system, where the world is trying to get us to do one thing, but we learn to stand in a different way? Are you ready for Jesus' return? But before we look at the questions, are we ready? The most important foundation is that Jesus the King is ready. That's why today's episode is crucial. Jesus is ready. We were created to reflect the glory of God 
And my prayer for us today is, is Lord, we want to catch this revelation that the king is ready, that heaven is ready, worship is ready. I want us to catch that revelation because you're going to reflect into the future your true revelation of this. If you doubt the kingship and the readiness of God, then you're going to be very insecure about the future. But when your heart has caught a true revelation, my God reigns, the king is ready, then we will reflect a calm assurance going into an uncertain future. So the four big ideas that show the readiness of the king coming from Revelation 1 and then 4 and then chapter 5 is number one, from Revelation 1, the vision of Jesus shows that Jesus is ready. Someone said this, I want a greater revelation of Jesus so that we can face the future and its fears. Not to minimize fears, but to overcome them. Someone said this, the book should not try and convince us that there are no reasons to fear the future, but to make us ready to overcome those fears. And the big idea I want us to catch is, is Satan, the Antichrist, world events, none of these things dictate end time agendas. We sometimes think, is the world spinning out of control? Is it the enemy? Could it be the Antichrist? Could it be all these? No, no, they are not dictating end time agenda. Jesus does, and God is ready. Not stressed, not reacting. Jesus controls end time events. Daniel prophesied it in Daniel 7 verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Is your revelation of the king greater than your fear of an uncertain future? That's the question. And so we carry on in Revelation 1, verse number 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I love this. I've been pondering this this last week. One of the most beautiful things, the glory of Jesus is about to be revealed to John. John hears this voice on the Alpha Omega. I look, and as he looks, he sees the lampstands. And in a few verses later, Jesus reveals the lampstands are his bride. Isn't that amazing? Even before his own glory, he puts the glory of his bride. You see, he's not focused on the devil. He's focused on his bride. And he's walking among the lampstands, the church, the glorious church. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like burnished or like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I love all of these descriptions about Jesus represent some kind of purification process. The burnished bronze, the white, the fire, all of it, it's ready. It's been through the test and come out cleansed, ready, purified. Verse number 16, in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Friends, this is the one who created the heavens and the earth with his voice. Let there be light. And you're going to hear it when you watch the news and you watch the movies nowadays about Armageddon 
and this big conflict and this big fight. And do you know there's not even a fight because he destroys them with a word of his mouth. This is the king that we serve. Not nuclear weapon, no, no, the word of his mouth. Because the one who created the heavens and the earth by speaking, he's sharpened his sword, he's ready. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Church, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And I felt in my heart, that's the revelation God wants us to catch. We know Jesus the first. You're the pioneer of our salvation. You died, you rose, we saved. You're the first and the last. And I believe that that fear goes when we realize, Jesus, you initiated, and Jesus, you bring it to completion. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Right there for what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus, the King, is ready. Can you say amen to that? But not just Jesus. When we jump across to Revelation 4, we see that heaven is ready. Revelation 4, verse 1 and 2, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne. I'm going to show you what's going to take place. I'm going to show you the anger of God poured out on a corrupt world that would not bow its knee. And yep, there's going to be some shaking. But let me show you how I'm going to start. The first thing that you see is a throne in heaven. I like reading those um, kind of thriller type books and spas. And you watch those movies. And, and when there's a big problem in America, whatever, it's the situation room under the White House. The president is there in the situation room. And he's got his cabinet. And they all are drinking heaven. No, no, you suppose you're not allowed to do that. But you're not even allowed to puff on their cigarettes. But there's tension in the room as each of them are following all the video screens. And they're on their comms and two phones. And what are we going to do? There's a tenseness. There's a situation. Not in heaven. In heaven, he sees a throne. Because this battle, the end times, is not battle, not a battle for a throne. It's a battle from a throne. This is, we're not contending for rulership because that's dealt with. Jesus dealt with it. Now the battle flows from a throne, not for a throne. What we see as well, thirdly, is that worship is already happening in heaven. Not waiting for an end time, will we win and then we celebrate? No, already. Heaven is ready. The king is ready. Worship is already happening in Revelation 4, 9 to 11. Whether the living creatures, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 12, 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. I love that. Around the throne, we have these elders, not lined up for battle, but encircling the throne to worship the king. Worship is happening, not warfare. There's peace in heaven, not panic. 
There's praise in heaven, not planning. There's authority in heaven and not reaction. And fourthly, lastly, Revelation chapter five then shows that that Jesus is ready to unfold the history of the world. It's as if the moment has come. How do we wrap up this planet Earth? How do we bring it all to its conclusion? And there was a sadness in heaven. Who's worthy? Who's worthy to bring the world? Not Satan, not Antichrist, that's for sure. Who's worthy to bring it to its conclusion? In Revelation 5, verses 1 to 5. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is ready. Heaven is ready. Worship is already happening. And Jesus is ready to unfold the scroll that wraps up human history. So let me land with this. What's the big takeaway? End times timetable is set by Jesus. His father on the throne commissions him. It's not, the agenda is not set by world events, terrorism, economic disasters, rising one world leaders, one world religion. None of those things are setting the agenda for the end. It's set by the father on the throne with Jesus as his king. Jesus is in complete control. In heaven, there is no stress, no panic, no hurry, only worship. And the focus is on Jesus. Jesus alone is found worthy to bring world history to its conclusion. And so how do we respond? My prayer for us is that, oh Lord, as we go into this journey, enlarge our revelation of Jesus the King. I truly believe, I pray, my prayer, our elders, as as the elders of this church, we praying, Lord, whatever the future may look like, may we as a church be ready. If it's smooth sailing, bless the Lord of my soul. If times get tougher and tougher, may we, as a lampstand that Jesus walks among, may we have a greater revelation of Jesus than a fear of the future. May calm assurance fill those who know Jesus as king. And may our focus be on Jesus, not CNN, not prof, no, no, on Jesus, because he's in control. So I want to leave you with just a psalm, because uh, the psalm writers were so prophetic in so many of their ways. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? And sometimes that's what it feels like when you have all of these rising up of kingdoms and new ideas and and this. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his holy and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And that may happen. It may happen when we see pictures as we will look at them later on in the book, as the kings of the earth unite together against Christians, against God and Verse number four, the one enthroned in heaven 
laughs. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We sons and daughters of the living God. I want you to tell you that your Father in heaven, when he sees the world scrambling to oppose, to persecute, the one in heaven laughs. And the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Do you know this king? Do you know this king? Because this is what's gonna make us ready. He's ready. And when we know this king, we will be ready as well. Why don't you stand with me, please? Just as we bow our heads for a moment. Church, do you know this king? Is this king, this ruler of heaven, ruler of the nations, is he truly the king of your life? You see, you can know about him, but not know him. Have you start, are you in a relationship with this king because you've chosen now to bow your knee and say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my king, my Lord, and where Jesus is Lord, Jesus saves. Where we bow our knee, when we give our free will to God and say, Lord, thank you for my free will and now I'm giving my will over to you. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. When we give our will back to him, The Father gives the wonderful righteousness of Jesus, his precious blood poured out, paying for our sins. Is Jesus your king? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that as you, as king and Lord of our lives, we can face an uncertain future with a calm assurance. And thank you, Lord God, that as we go, we go knowing that your gracious hand rests upon us In Jesus' name. And God's people saying?